Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the answers to prayer, the testimonies that are given here. Lord, the things that we can see and relate to one another, we're thankful that, uh, Lord, we don't even have to share all the details, but just an answered prayer and we can rejoice together with that one, uh, knowing that you have worked in their life and, Lord, knowing that we don't need to know exactly what happened. And we thank you for all of these things. We thank you for the things that we do not see and the things that we're not paying attention to. Help us, Lord, to open our eyes to see your hand about us every moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Right, and the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 1, and somewhere, uh, usually during the Christmas time, uh, there's, uh, I just feel impressed to spend a little time, everybody wants to spend so much time on Mary and her faith, and we should exalt uh, the faith and the testimony of Mary uh, as God chose her to be the tool that brought God the Son into the human race. And uh, one of the things that uh, I hope to spend some time on before the Christmas season is past is just simple reasons for the Incarnation. But most of us understand those very, very well that in order for Jesus to pay for the sins of the human race, He had to be a part of who we are. He had to become one of us. And yet, He was different. And, uh, and, but tonight, what I would like for us to do in Matthew chapter 1 and a few other verses is to look at the faith that Joseph had. Uh, many uh, of our members are from a former Catholic background, and uh, the Catholic tradition makes Joseph uh, an elderly man, one foot in the grave, the other one on a banana peel, um, someone that was just interested in saving Mary's character, and so he lent her her name, but the Bible tells us that that was not the case at all. And it's so easy to read back into history the um, things that we would think and put in our own hearts and mind and reinterpret the story in a light that never really could have been. Uh, in a modern setting, uh, if these events had played out in the modern setting, what would happen is Mary and Joseph would sit down and talk about this thing. But I, I want you to understand that uh, uh, back even into the 50s, in the United States, they were not allowed to use the word pregnant on a television broadcast or in a radio show. Uh, that's how clean things were just 60 years ago. Now, today... Uh, let's not even discuss where things are today, how low and degraded uh, entertainment has become. But I want to challenge you that there would have been very little communication 
going on between Mary and Joseph. And one of the things that exalted Mary's faith is she had to trust completely in God to work out all of these details. It was not like she could just sit down and explain that an angel came to him, uh, to her and told her all these things. And, and by the way, if you were uh, a, a young man waiting to be married and your girlfriend or your uh, in, uh, spouse-to-be, your person you're engaged to said an angel appeared and said, I'm going to have a child, would you believe him? I mean, how ridiculous would this thing become? And so only God could work out the details. And it tells us that the people involved in what we would call the Christmas story were people of real faith. And real faith always demands something. Real faith is going to cost you something. Obedience to God does not come naturally. It does not come without a price tag, we might say. But I will tell you this, if you've had the experience of simply being obedient to God by faith, you're going to get two things. You're going to get criticism from everyone who doesn't want to live by faith. Just going to happen. But you'll understand the blessings far outweigh the trouble. Amen? And so as we read the story of Joseph, just a few verses. Now, verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Uh, by the way, let me just preface this. We have a genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And a genealogy, uh, history, tracing the history of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, and uh, or 3, I'm sorry. And uh, there's a lot of questions about those genealogies, and people have been debating this thing. Uh, uh, when I was first studying the thing, the standard answer was Luke is Mary's genealogy, and Matthew was Joseph's genealogy, and... Uh, that may or may not be true, but the the simple thing is both accounts happen to be listed as Joseph's genealogy. And um, I think it was Alfred Edersheim in his voluminous book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It used to be published in two volumes, but it's a book about that thick now. And... Uh, and he deals with all these things, and he simply says that they were both Joseph's genealogies, just as the Bible says, but that there was some, uh, uh, what we would call intermarriage and divorce, uh, not divorce, but intermarriage and death in the family, and he gave several different scenarios whereby both could simply be that of Joseph. And uh, being he such a more learned man than I am and comes out saying the Bible is simply right and we can trust it, I'm with Mr. Edersheim. How about you? And we're not, that's all I'm going to explain about that. If you want, you can get the book. Uh, I have a copy, but it stays in my office, belonged to my uncle who passed away. But you can get it online, you can get it digital, you can get it anywhere uh, very inexpensively.
And if you want to read all 1,500 or 2,000 pages, be my guest. Uh, But we start in verse 18, and this is a biblical record. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. This is how it happened. When, as his mother, Mary, was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the Lord, spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, what we have here first was Joseph, was, the Bible lists him as a just man. Now, when God says that you're a just man, that simply means that you are right and biblical in your life and in the things, the decisions that you make, the direction that you take, the overall testimony is that you're right with God. Now, that's a good place to be. These were wicked times. The Romans were in charge. The, the priest at the temple in Jerusalem had actually intermarried with the family of the wicked Herod And uh, I'll tell you, things were not good at the temple. Uh, They were, Herod, in order to uh, make things better, uh, Herod the Great uh, had actually started building the temple. If you'll remember, in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, they give the history of the rebuilding of the temple. And you remember what happened? The young men rejoiced, and what did the old men do? They wept. Because it was nothing like Solomon's temple. And Herod had come along and tried to really style himself as the Messiah of the Jewish people. And one of the things that he had done was married into the Maccabean family, the family of the high priest, and, uh, or Hasmonean, as, as you want to, uh, if you want to call them by that name. Uh, they had, uh, He had set himself up as king, and when Jesus was uh, a man, 33 years later, they asked him about the saying, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They said the temple had been building for 46 years, so we have Jesus about 30 years old. 16 years at the birth of Jesus, the temple had already been in the process uh, of being rebuilt. Herod built a magnificent building up and over top of the original temple that was now 
400 years old, the second temple. And uh, as that building was going on, it would continue actually up until about 63 A.D. So the total time it was building uh, was going to be well nigh 75 years building a building here. All laid out by Herod the Great. And uh, here is Joseph. He was the true descendant of David. He was the one that should have been on the throne. Amen? And what happens when you have a right and a privilege and a heritage and you should be in a position of power and we find Joseph was in a position of poverty. How hard is it to just keep doing right instead of getting discouraged and quitting? Hello? Most of us never have to battle that because we have no rights, no privileges, no money, no nothing. Uh, we're, we're just living day to day. But David was his great, 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 great grandfather. Solomon and all the riches uh, that Solomon had, of course, that had been lost for generations. It had been 600 years at this point since a descendant of David had sat upon the throne of Israel. Now, stop and think about 600 years. This is 2017. So that would give us 1417. Is that, is that correct? What was going on in the year 1417? It'd be a long time, a lifetime, before Columbus would sail the ocean blue and even realize that there was a continent uh, between Europe and, and China. Uh, it was what we call the Dark Ages. And yes, it was some of the darkest days of the Dark Ages. Uh, the light of the Reformation had not even begun uh, to show, and by the Reformation, I'm not talking about the Protestants. I'm talking about the people who believed the Bible. Uh, they were hidden in corners, and all we have is just bits and scraps of evidence, mostly from their trials, as they were put to death for believing in Jesus Christ. That's 600 years ago was a long time. And here is Joseph living as a pulper, uh, or on the base of the brink of poverty. He was a working man. He was a carpenter. Uh, he uh, had a trade. He was doing things, but by the offerings that he and Mary offered, we, we find out they offered the lowest level of offerings that could be offered. And so, they were not rich people, and yet Joseph was just. He did not waste his life pining away for a heritage that was rightfully his, a, a position of leadership that he should have had among his people. He was a nobody, even though he was a direct descendant of David. You know what? It is hard to be a nobody. Amen? How many of you are nobodies? I mean, 
Most of us are. Amen? I mean, we, we, we have some accomplishments, but for the most part, we're just regular, ordinary people. If you took our life history, that's where Joseph was. And yet, he stayed faithful to God. He lived a righteous life. And God was waiting. God knew that he would be there. And then we have to think of Joseph's life. Now, when we talk about weddings, who is the second most insignificant person at a wedding? The most insignificant person at a wedding uh, normally is the father of the bride. I mean, that is just, all he does is walk the lady down the aisle. That's it. Get out of here. Leave us alone. Uh, he loses his daughter on that day. I, I praise God. I've not lost a daughter yet. I've gained two son-in-laws, but I've not lost a daughter yet. Uh, it's It's been a blessed time. But the second most insignificant man is the groom, is he not? I, I mean, it... Uh, all the planning, all everything is about the bride, is it not? And, and I want to challenge you, the Jewish wedding in these days, by those who study these things, tell us that was not the case. The wedding in Jesus' day was all about the groom. You see, marriage was the last step to be admitted to society proper for a Jewish young man. And uh, they obeyed the biblical commands. Everything had to be set in the house. Uh, Oftentimes, the marriage would be arranged, sometimes by family members, even as the uh, uh, children were very young. Um, I just read somewhere, someone said, the decision of marriage was far too important to be left up to emotional whim and fancy. All right. That's a, uh, that might be a pretty good way of doing things. But there was the espousal period where the marriage was legally consummated. Uh, all of the legal recommendations were met. And during that year... They were allowed to do what we would call date. They were allowed to spend time together. Before, you you just didn't have guys and girls running around spending time together in restaurants or going on dates for fun. That did not happen in these days. There there was a separation. Uh, There, uh, as I try to explain things to my children as they're growing up, hey, you, you found this nice person, but you need to keep the walls up. You, you don't want them to come down too quickly. You want to make sure that there's time for you to get to know one another. And, and not just, uh, uh, the way I like to put it is, you need to know how she feels about things, not how she feels. Amen? Keep your hands off. And that's the way this time was. And it was also an evaluation time for her family 
to make sure that he was going to be the proper provider, that his finances were in order. It was a time when everybody was looking at them. And they were able to spend some time together, but the, the marriage was all about the groom. It was his admission to society. No one took a young unmarried man seriously. Had no public opinion had no real part in society at all. In the synagogue, he would not be called upon to read the Scriptures. Uh, if he gave his opinion about something, he would just be treated as a brash young man standing up and speaking out of turn. You had to be settled. You had to be married before you could be a part of the society, of the, of the people at all. And that was important. It was all about his friends coming over and celebrating with him and, and being welcomed into the community by the older uh, generation. It was a statement that he had arrived financially and, and socially. The entire town of Nazareth would have participated in one form or another in the wedding ceremony whether it just be hanging out the windows, uh, wishing them well. The date of the wedding was left up to the groom. He had to fulfill that year-long espousal period. It was actually a contract of marriage that was signed and publicly sealed. And during that year, everything would be finalized. They would be preparing for the marriage, but he wouldn't tell the bride when the wedding day was. That was supposed to be a surprise. And he would let his friends know, it's probably going to be Friday night. And the whispers would go through all the town. And finally, all the little things would get done and somebody would send out the word, it's tonight. And the friends would begin to gather and they would follow him through the streets as he went to the house and, and would ask for his bride and there would be rejoicing and then the feast would begin and everybody would show up, even those that weren't invited sometimes. And I mean, it would just be a time of real rejoicing and finally it would be his last step in what we would call real manhood. Now what happened to Joseph? He had to give it all up. You see, somewhere during that period of their espousal time, an angel appeared to Mary and said, you're going to have a child. And she just simply said, let me be the handmaiden of the Lord. Let me be that willing servant. And she went to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth's genealogy was that of a direct descendant of Aaron, and Mary was her cousin. And that's one of the reasons I believe both these genealogies belong to Joseph, because Mary would have then been of the tribe of Levi to, to, to be uh, a cousin to um, uh, Zacharias' wife, Elizabeth. And here is this young woman traveling by herself, apparently, all the way down to... Judea, where Zacharias and Elizabeth lived, and 
she was there for about three months, and, uh, and the baby was born, John the Baptist, we know him by, and then Mary comes back, and the whispers start. And now we have Joseph being a just man. This was not Mary coming up to Joseph. Mary didn't walk into town and say, I'm with child. She didn't do those things. That was all taken care of for her. And it wasn't a pleasant thing. And we have Joseph thinking on these things. This was public knowledge. Everybody knew. And like I'm telling you, Mary couldn't try to explain it. Trying to explain it this way would make her look even more guilty, even though she was innocent, now wouldn't it? And so Mary had to sit there and just wait. And Joseph was trying to weigh all of these things in his mind. And it said that he had made up his mind to put her away privately. Now, the point that needs to be made here was that this would be a legal and proper divorce, even though they were only engaged. They had not been uh, fully married yet. They were only been married legally. What Joseph would do... Would he, he would deliver this bill of divorcement to her family, to Mary, and he would be absolved from the situation, his reputation, but he wasn't seeking a public destruction and a public trial. He wasn't seeking retribution. This was in his own heart, in his own mind. Joseph had a right to all of those things, but he was trying not to do this, to keep this as quiet and And as he possibly could, and while he was thinking on these things, he had a dream and the Lord appeared to him and simply said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. He didn't say that Jesus was coming to save his people from the Romans. He said that he was going to save his people from their sins. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. Well, several years ago, we went to that sight and sound theater thing in Lebanon, and they had the Christmas story there. And those things really bother me because nobody can just do what the Bible says. They always got to add something. They weren't going to stone Mary. They didn't do that in this day. Their society had degenerated. Her reputation would have been destroyed, her proper place. And what we have here is Joseph giving up every good thing that was rightfully his in marriage and actually claiming responsibility for the situation, putting himself in the seat of scorn. And the whispers now would have been, uh, Joseph just couldn't wait. Poor Mary, taken advantage of like that. And yet Joseph said, I'm going to obey God regardless of the gossip. 
of the gossipers. Regardless of what goes on, regard, and, I'm, and how could you explain this to anybody? You couldn't. But what Joseph did, the Bible says, made under the law. Mary was not just any woman that God picked. She was engaged. The baby was conceived by the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, to end all discussion, he arises in the middle of the night. He goes to her house alone. He takes Mary, his wife. And we do not know the time period, but we go to Luke chapter 2. And uh, sometime in the next two and a half, three months or so, they end up headed to Bethlehem and uh, to be taxed. And he takes Mary with him. And this is just my thought. Why would no one in Bethlehem offer Mary and Joseph a place to stay? Well, you get out your calculator and you kind of figure out things aren't quite right. And say, I'm not going to endorse that. I'm not going to give my blessing on that marriage. Something's not right there. This is the way people were in those days. And if you'll stop and think, this is the way people were in the United States even just 30, 40 years ago. It was not a, a good thing. And yet, this is the way that God had set it down. Joseph was willing to forfeit all of the things that were rightfully his so he could be obedient to God. You know what I call that? Faith. Just simple faith. Even during Jesus' earthly ministry, they would bring this up and said, we be not born of fornication, talking about themselves and casting that light upon Jesus These were not records that were um, hidden and closed. Everybody that wanted to study this fact could know that the timing of this birth was just a little different than it should have been. They couldn't criticize because Joseph had married Mary and everything was uh, legally under the law of God and the law of man. But... What we have here is Joseph being obedient to God. We need to think about that. Sometimes obedience to God isn't the most exciting thing in the world, is it? But I'll tell you what, it's the best thing. Let's go to, if you're still there in Matthew, let's skip down to chapter 2 and verse 13. This is after the wise men were departed, and the best that we can tell, this was about two years. If we follow all the details, Jesus was born. They were there eight days for the circumcision, went to the temple in Jerusalem because it was close. That's when they met Anna and Ananias. Excuse me. And they dedicated Jesus. Then they would have been there for the next... Several weeks, uh, actually two two months, two and a half months, the gift for the purifying and all of that at the end of the healing process would have happened. Then they went back to Nazareth. Then they come back to Bethlehem and a period of about two years have elapsed. 
Because that's when Herod started killing the little children in Bethlehem from two years and under. After the wise men left, verse um, uh, 12, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, verse 13, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joseph in the dream, saying, Arise, take the young child, not a baby anymore, and his mother, and flee into Egypt. Be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. People have often asked the question, What about the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh? Where did those treasures, those gifts that the wise men gave? Well, what did they live on in Egypt during that time period while they were waiting for the death of Herod? Probably the gifts of the wise men, amen? And so, after Herod was dead, God appeared to him again in a dream. And uh, verse 19, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream. He turned aside into parts of Galilee and came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. And so, we have Joseph being given direction by God on several occasions. By the way, that prophecy uh, that he should be called a Nazarene, the best we can understand, that's Isaiah 53, uh, 3, that he had no form or comeliness. Uh, That's basically what Nazareth meant. Ugly, barren, dead, nothing, nothing beautiful about him. And that's where he lived. We don't hear anything more about Joseph, except when Jesus was 12 years old. He went to Jerusalem to worship at the Passover. Jesus stayed behind. And his remonstrance toward his parents was, Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And of course, he was talking about in the temple, speaking with the scribes and the Pharisees and questioning them and answering their questions. But later on, Matthew thirteen fifty-five said that Jesus was known as the carpenter's son. He had learned a trade. Joseph had taught Jesus how to make things, how to build And Jesus had taken up that trade. His life was a testimony to silent faith in God from the time that he was born all the way up until he was recognized by John the Baptist. We have one little simple story there. Do not believe the epistle of Barnabas and uh, the other spurious books that are out there Jesus lived simply and quietly 
as Joseph had done. In anonymity, in quietness, in a simple and meager existence so that he might identify with you and I today. Faith. Faith is not always some fantastic thing. The greatest faith that you can have is daily living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Joseph isn't a fantastic example of quiet, (laughs) unknown faith, uh, I'll tell you, he is. And we need to grab a hold of that and just live simply for the Lord. And all God's people said, let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we ask that you would give us a measure of that faith that Joseph had. Just that simple, quiet faith to be obedient to your words regardless of what's going on around us. In your name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, you can pray at your seat or come to the altar if you would like in just a few moments. Then we'll get into our regular prayer time tonight.